Good evening, everyone. And I think we're on. <laughs> we're, we're, we are on, Ollie. I think we just had the uh, 30 minute countdown. We're definitely on. <laughs> um, good evening, everyone. Um, welcome <laughs> to the first ever live podcast webinar. Um, this is definitely new to me, so bear with. However, um, I've got some great panelists with me this evening um, in Ollie, Rhonda, and Andrew, uh, who are going to do a very short intro. Uh, very soon um but ju just quickly just to set the scene um and to to help all of you guys um firstly what's going to be really important on this and i want to make sure that all of you guys you'll give me your time which i really appreciate and i want you to get the most out of it so uh, you should be able to see um the q a section on the right and basically at any point that you want to ask a question get involved then you can just type it there and when that question's there, you're going to be able to click upvote um, and add to the question. So feel free to do that at any point and upvote the questions that you definitely want to get asked because I want to make sure that you get your questions answered. Um, so before we go into the intro, all of you should know that this podcast is sponsor supported by Hunted. Um, and I think we we're just talking about this um, a minute ago, but I think in the the current adversity and challenges, there's definitely been a huge number of recruiters unfortunately being made redundant and um, have now got to overcome new challenges or potentially getting a new job. Um, and speaking to Hunter today, they've sort of worked really hard to ensure that they're showcasing the brands that um, are definitely recruiting um, and are planning on growing. So um, make sure that you check those guys out. And if you are in that unfortunate position, um, then check that out. So look, let's get started with... Rhonda, if you if you go first, just for everyone's benefit, um, introduce yourself, everyone, and then we'll go from there. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Hisham. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, it's absolutely great to be doing this live. Um, my name is Rhonda D'Ambrosio. I am the Transformation Director for Evenable, an organisation that supports recruitment businesses for L&D based on a foundation of good mindset. I'm also um, the founder of Mental Health in Recruitment, an initiative that's going to be uh, getting driven out more across 2020. Um, that's me, a pioneer for good mindset and mental health in the recruitment industry. Thank you, Rhonda. Who wants to go next? <laughs> I'll go. No fighting. Go on. Um, hi, guys. Um, yeah, it's Oliver Perry here. Um, I, so I am uh, nearly six years into recruitment. I'm still very much um, in the trenches. I last role was five years back in the UK, and I, I took the took the jump to move to Dublin so I'm in I've been in Dublin for like six months now lead a team of four uh billing manager very much um yeah very much a foot soldier still uh in the game so yeah okay and look Ollie, you've got the question already so let's answer it where did Ollie get his shed from so let's just make that really clear for everyone <laughs> well where, oh, where, can you just share why are you why are you in the shed this was uh this was um this was gone. We can oh, we I can hear you. my girlfriend's. Uh, you, you got me. Yeah. Yeah, we got you. Yeah. 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 This was this was this was mine and my girlfriend's like um, negotiation in terms of what she wanted in the house and what I wanted in the house, and the only one thing I wanted was a man shed at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But, 
Absolutely no reason whatsoever. I was I, six months ago. I made the decision. Maybe I knew coronavirus was coming, and I'd need somewhere to do some work. But... <laughs> oh, mate. But, no, yeah. I think that was, that was the first question straight out of the gate. Thank you, Will Grashoff, for that. I'm not surprised that Will's asked that question. But um, Andrew, <laughs> just, just for everyone, I'm sure a lot of people seen you on LinkedIn. But short intro to you, Andrew, and then going to ask you guys some questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for Hunted for organising as well. It's good to be here. Um, so I'm Andrew McCaskill, 15 years of recruitment and exec search. And at the moment, I split myself between kind of both sides of the hiring equation. So I spend half my time uh, working with executives who are on the move. And I've got a business called Career Jump, which helps them with that transition. And the other half working with disruptive recruitment leaders um, on strategy, marketing, social selling and scale ups. So, yeah, really pleased to be here. Cool. Thank you. Um, so look, as as the, the original theme for the event that we was going to do in person was cultivating resilience and going the distance in recruitment. I think with obviously the the challenges over the, the last couple of days and weeks, I think it couldn't be more topical. I think we'll, we'll definitely touch on the coronavirus, but this this live podcast webinar is not going to be all about the coronavirus because I think we, we are just hit with it every single second i think there's loads to talk about um in terms of resilience and recruitment so i guess firstly let's start with what what do you what does resilience in recruitment mean to you guys let's start there when i say the word resilience what, what in, in recruitment what does it mean to you i think for me um in recruit in recruitment and with most things um resilience is quality of thinking it's how flexibly we think about things and how well we can respond and adapt to the challenges around us. I like that. Ollie, what, what does resilience and recruitment mean yeah, to you? Yeah, so I, um, uh, for me, it's the, it's the difference between like hope and certainty. So the, the, the net margin in between those two things. So how hopeful you are of things happening or how certain you are of things happening, the wider those two things become apart, um, the more resilient you, you evidently have to be. So it's just for me, it's, it's that gap in between those two things, narrow that gap and you reduce the amount of time you have to be resilient, basically. I like that. That's a really interesting little equation. Yeah. Haven't, haven't heard that yeah. before. That was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Andrew, what, what does it mean to you, sir? Uh, I think resilience is... Uh, mastering your emotions and your ego at times when they're tested. Mm, I like that. Um, and I think recruitment and ego definitely, yeah, I think that sometimes a lot of people think they just, they just come both together, don't they? I think I'm, I'm glad you in, included that. So look, love that. Let, let's go, let's go straight into this. I'd love to just get some stories out of you guys. Um, what, what has been sort of your lowest point in your recruitment career? so far and how did you bounce back and keep going i don't no. want to always go first um god there's been so many i've been in the industry for 22 nearly 23 years so um i think for me personally the biggest one was uh, around about 2008 um with the downturn across various markets i was a year into starting up uh, my own recruitment business mida technologies and you know people didn't want to spend money um and i yeah. think the hardest part is 
everywhere you looked and LinkedIn wasn't quite as big then. It was at the sort of the dawn of everybody using LinkedIn. So certainly not the level of videos um, and presence that we've got today. But what I found is that people were talking us into a recession. You know, the negativity, the, oh, it's doom. Oh, it's awful. And we knew so many people around us that had also set up at a similar time that just decided, no, we needed the stability. So, um, you know, the way in which we responded to it back then, you know, we'd we'd set up, um, if anyone's listened to the the podcast and for for those that haven't, you know, I set up because I wanted flexible working. I I was a mum, I had two very small children. The industry wasn't giving me the flexibility to do the job um, for, for, you know, a, a a business a a company um so I did it for myself and we had to really dig deep with the relationship building um and and that for Mm. me is I'm not going to say it's how we got through it but by being authentic and building real relationships with people as opposed to just those transactional placements to get money on the board or to get a deal sort of sort of I think saved might be a, a bit too um you know dramatic but it enabled us to keep doing what we were doing and we had a very mm. very clear reason for for mm. needing to keep moving forward mm. I think and that that's definitely going to be important in to in the present from 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 that that experience for sure um ollie what what what's been the what's been the sort of lowest point for you um out, out of interest as you said you're you're someone that's in the trenches you're a foot soldier what what what's been the lowest point for you and how did you bounce back and get through that yeah so i um mine was mine's quite simple in terms of it was kind of like an 18 month recruitment war that i hit in my first job um it was hard. It's hard to quantify at the time, but it's more like, do I want to do this? Is this right for me? Mm. Not going your way, kind of thing. And I can't really give my, myself any credit for getting out of it. A lot of it was it was the people around me, was the management at the time, my colleagues at the time, and it was a bit of a, a reset. Thanks to their kind of positivity. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for, if I was handing my notice into a different manager or a different colleague or whatever it might have been a different outcome but I am um, but yeah I was, I was very lucky for the people around me at that time that helped me through what, what sort period. of things were they communicating to you then um a lot of it a lot of it was um a lot of it was talking about actually what had happened so I think you create this theory in your head that's actually not true of um your lack of ability or your lack of confidence and it's actually sometimes it takes somebody else to tell you what's happened before you can actually see what's happened yourself um so a lot of it was that and obviously there's a lot of a lot of belief and a lot of um a lot of uh, like positivity in terms of ollie you can do this it, it nothing, nothing kind of wizardry but sometimes just a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a pat on the back and a bit of a, a bit of positivity goes a long way so yeah and ever since then it, it to be fair I've, I've had quite a nice um upwards curve and stuff at the moment um new market new desk small team startup nature so there's there's daily challenges but but yeah probably that 18 month mm. period of being in recruitment was probably at my lowest yeah okay thanks for sharing andrew i think whenever people see you it's just a big old smile so oh yeah <laughs> what what it's what, been a breeze what? i just killed it <laughs> 
absolutely killed it. <laughs> no, so yeah, what, what yeah, talk, share with I'd love to hear sort of a tough time for you and yeah, there's heaps, of, yeah. there's heaps, mate. Your podcast is the most aptly named podcast on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, the roller coaster is absolutely right. So, uh, definitely the lowest point. I'm not going to go into detail because I'd rather not sob in front of 150 uh, viewers. <laughs> um, but but def- definitely the the worst one I had was um, the day before last year's kickoff meeting when I was running an executive search business with people I cared about. My wife was the FD. Blah blah blah. Um, I got a wife tech. was the FD. Yeah, my wife was the FD. Yeah, wow. I was. Uh, so we were all really intertangled. A lot of my best friends work in there. I got a text message from the other shareholders to go to a hotel, and everybody got wiped out. Um, wow! So that was devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, on a but you know it's a cruel game sometimes. Like it, well, you know that's mm. one of those kind of once in a life type scenarios. But I remember a load of times like recruitment just screws with you. Like um, yeah. I remember, you know, missing out on promotion targets by a couple of grand or having a, <laughs> have, having a dropout, which meant the commission that I thought I had coming that was going to be a holiday in two months' time had disappeared. You know, like, because you've already spent it in your mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recruitment just has this horrible way of kicking you in the nuts when you don't see it coming. And um, and it can be really, really deflating. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. a roller coaster, as you uh, so yeah. aptly put it. No, thank you. So um, before I ask... Um, Next question. I, um, Kevin Adams shared a, a great question that quite a few people have um, voted on. So let, let's go into that because th- this was sort of the next sort of thing that I wanted to start talking to you guys about. Obviously, all of you have been involved in um, recruiting for your own teams and worked alongside other people. But Kevin Adam asked, do you think resilience is an inherent skill or trait or is it something that you can train? It's what do we think about that? You can train it. Okay. Yeah, elaborate yeah. uh, talk to us well it's it's something that compounds over time it calluses over time so i know for a fact and and this is the funny thing about res- resilience and the the pain of what you have to go through when you're showing resilience is actually it's growth isn't it you're building mm. you're building growth while you're going through those challenges so i've definitely taught myself albeit i have noticed i've been eating too many cookies and reaching for a beer every night this week. (laughs) So, you know, it does still sit underneath. You have to be very, very self-aware and work at it all the time. But the more you can learn to, you know, practice things like mindfulness and manage your state and detach your emotions internally from what's happening externally and focus on the controllables, Mm. you can build, you can build up that strength over time, in my opinion. Mm. No. Yeah. What, what, what do you, Ollie and Rhonda, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, I think resilience is a lot about your environment in general. So, the people around you, specifically your management, have such a such a big influence on on your ability to be resilient after the fact or or before the fact. More importantly, like like Andrew says, in terms of the, the growth to get there. So, yeah, absolutely. Of course, um, of course, with everything, there's a there's a lot that any individual needs to do, but. Yeah, absolutely. The people around you, your management, have a, a big, a big say in in how an individual is going to be resilient in recruitment. Okay. I I would say that you know if you look at how we're programmed uh, very early on from birth and in schools, 
and the experiences that we have in life. Some of us have great experiences and we naturally have a quality of thinking, um, a positive way to view the world. We are solutions orientated. Those of you that are familiar with Carol Dweck's work may say that, yes, those individuals are in a growth mindset. Um, you know, that is into a degree that's an inherent inbuilt thing that is almost then cultivated over time yeah. um, where it starts to get sort of interesting is the individuals that haven't been able to um, maybe cope with the things that have happened to them haven't been great quality of thinkers and these are the people like Andrew said that absolutely you can work with you can talk to them about um, the way in which they process things, the way in which they acknowledge what's happened to them, what they're looking at in terms of um, what is in their control, what they can influence yeah. versus the things that they can't um, deal with or influence. But kind of like, um, and uh, Claire Mohammed, she's just popped up and asked a question about resilience being a scar or growing pains. You know, resilience is a, it, I almost sometimes use a rubber band. You know, you get a fresh rubber band out the packet and you know that yeah. it's going to stretch. But sometimes the more you stretch it little by little, the further it will go. You couldn't necessarily get it to that point straight away, but over a period of time of sort of seeing where your boundaries are and seeing where your not your break points, but your yeah. susceptible areas are, you know, that's the continual work in progress. That's the acknowledgement of the things that have happened. And, you know, um, Hisham, do you mind me jumping in and referencing John's question about the interview process? This, this yeah, is where yeah, that's it, fine, yeah. it really pulls together because, you know, invariably when people have dealt with things that, whether it's advers um, adversity, whether it's um, challenging things in our personal lives, when we overcome those and when we get through them, our mind knows that we've done it before. So therefore we can do it again. And that builds an inner confidence and a, a sort of a focus that all ties together. Yeah, I've got a, there's a really um, cool way of spotting resilience at interview that I believe. Yeah, so, so Andrew, the, the question was from John, just for, is it how do you recommend questioning for resilience as part of the interview process? Yeah, no, great question. Um, the, the answer is the questions don't matter as much as the answers that are coming back. And what I mean mm. by that is um, somebody who's resilient will own their journey. Um, mm. So they'll have an internal locus of control. So if you were to say to a candidate who I would say would be low on resilience, taught me through your CV, they'll say, well, I went to the first company and the product was rubbish. Then the economy yeah. turned, so I had to leave the second yeah, always externalized. Yeah. Whereas if you if you look at people who own their journey and they say, well, I went to the first company and I didn't do the due diligence around the product. And so it turned out mm. it for market. But they have this, they're not passengers in their own life. They have this ownership and internal locus of control. And that's an absolute, I'll tell you, if you're interviewing for your team tomorrow, I would take internal locus of control over pretty much anything. It's it's yeah. it's absolutely the one. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So I guess, so we definitely agree then that um, resilience is something that, um, yeah, it isn't, it, yeah, it isn't inherent. It's something that you can continue to work at. It's free run experience, these types of things. So I guess on this sort of tangent then, how can people, because a lot of our jobs, particularly maybe obviously yours job now, Wally, and you've spoken about the managers and the environment, um, obviously likewise if uh, you run the, but how can people that, do have people around them that they're responsible for? How can they start instilling resilience in them and the people around them? How, how can they go about that and approach that? 
so from a from a very sorry from a very like low level point of view right so we're talking about a consultant doing their day job and um, one of the biggest things for me is is to de-risk a lot of a lot of what you're doing so have your processes and be honest with yourself in terms of with yourself but also your management having an influence and de-risking what you're doing a lot of a lot of resilience comes from doing things wrong for such a period of time and then getting smacked bang with 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 something out of the blue then all of a sudden oh my god i have to be resilient now because it's all gone wrong so from a low level point of view managing a trainee or a rookie or, or a senior or whatever it has to be it's a it's about it's about understanding what you're doing at every single point of that process and de-risking every single point of that process to understand what's what's going to happen it's all yeah. a, it's all so when you say de-risking you're saying just to let you know Wally, you will get rejected when we're doing this business development session a number of times is yeah that, is, is that you mean like communicate what the yeah the the the, the challenges that they're going to face yeah absolutely honest honesty is so important um but but it has to have a for me it has to have a real level of like positivity and support i think you see so many times um in recruitment people hitting other consultants with the stick to try mm. and prepare them for getting hit with a stick from a client or candidate I, it, it baffles me a little bit because then you're kind of saying well you're gonna to have to be resilient double over now because i'm gonna be as hard as i as, as the client <laughs> is. You know what i mean so I, I'm, I'm against that kind of thing i'm on about like i'm on about the being honest with them about what's happening but making sure it has <laughs> making sure it has levels of positivity to it otherwise you're not giving them a a chance in hell in my yeah opinion. no that's fair yeah if they're worried about getting rejected by the client and then getting hit by a stick by ollie yeah i'm gonna be double scared yeah yeah, yeah exactly. i would i would coin what ollie's saying when you talk de-risk the way the language i often use is about clear expectations if yeah. you set clear expectations with people the people around you and you tell them what to expect so somebody brand new coming into our industry that is told to pick up the phone that is told to make the calls you know what we all know that it's i'm not saying it's impossible but it's very very rare that you're going to make five calls and have success on every five of those calls so if you make people aware about whether it's calls whether it's about process whether it's about you know other people and how the team works and how you're expected to behave not only does that build trust but it definitely works towards building resilience mm, I like that and then I guess um on this then I think um like how how do you guys think <clears throat> the sort of importance or need for resilience has changed as the industry's evolved. I mean, particularly obviously Rhonda and Andrew, you've you've been in the market longer than me and Ollie. Um and like, that, <laughs> <laughs> like obviously so as you as you were saying earlier, Rhonda, of your story, LinkedIn wasn't very prevalent then and these things, but like like how do you think yeah the need or the importance of resilience has changed as the industry's evolved? Uh, I, I, Andrew, if you don't mind me jumping in, you know, I think okay. that um it's evolved in a couple of ways. Some were largely positive and others in somewhat negative way. Um, if you look at the different demographics we have and the different generations that are coming into the workplace, the, the newer generations, your, your Gen Zs and, and so on, they are living in a world with a very, very different set of rules. You know, 
back in back in the days when Andrew and I were you know dinosauring it about you know we didn't have te- we didn't have tech we didn't have email we you know we, we were lucky if we had oh god I actually don't know how old you are Andrew I might be doing you a massive disservice you know I had a fax and we used to stand at the fax and and send CVs through and and stuff like that and an old yeah, Rolodex that's, that's mental yeah so you know I think that somewhat working in those times and conditions you you know that builds a level of resilience because we didn't get the sort of instant gratification that um, a lot of recruiters now get based on the connectivity and the tech and everything else so what I mean by that with regards to um, you know your gen z's and and the, the, the workforce that's going to come into play you know they have been switched on since birth you know, my kids are so technical, you know, they're using yeah. all the platforms, they're using TikTok. So that also means that they're more susceptible to some of the, um, you know, the bad stuff that happens online, you know, the trolling mm. and everything else. So on, on some levels, I think that they are going to have a level of resilience, but also, you know, that mindset, that mental health, it's becoming far more of a, of a, you know, a, a normality, you know, I, I, I don't believe we're there yet as an industry, you know, I'm how I feel about that. But, you know, it, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying we need a cuddle. I'm not saying it's about entitlement. What I'm saying is, this is just the way of the world now, we have to adapt. Yeah. And yeah, if we don't adapt, how are we going to overcome? Yeah, I think and I think um, Rosa just uh, asked a question, which is really in line with that. I'd love to get um your thoughts on that which was um yeah do you feel people have become shielded from needing to be resilient with the emergence of technology and social media etc e.g the lack of cold calling yeah exactly and i think that that's interesting right so i think yeah i think you're right it's the oh i don't want to put this out in case i don't get any likes and being resilient around that and all the different things now rather than being willing to pick up the phone and getting told no a number of times um anything to add on that Andrew what do you think from your experience and your own journey yeah I think how we um get resilience out of our teams has changed um Mm. like uh, when I started it was very much about just uh beating people effectively into (laughs) it was yeah yeah, yeah. you know emotionally beating people into um, everyone kind of took an army, navy, seal, hell week type approach to it, where it, <laughs> where it was kind of sink or swim. You're thrown at the deep end, all that, and that's that. That's you know, that's it's, it's it's questionable how relevant that is now. And I think a lot of organisations need to shift. So, how do you build resilience now? Well, my, my view and a lot of work that I'm doing um, with recruitment organisations, working with one called Collabs at the moment, we've done a lot of work on this, um, is around purpose. So I think Mm. how you build resilience in teams now is through being able to define a mission and a purpose that underpins your organization because the the generation coming through now are very purpose-driven. They don't have Mm. necessarily the financial pain to the level that we did when we started and aren't purely money-motivated, albeit they are, of course, money-motivated to an extent. And so you have to be able to articulate something that's bigger than the organization that then makes those people resilient to delivering on that mission because it's in service of something that's bigger than just hitting their numbers. And those mm. all, I'm really predicting in terms of all the uncertainty in the market and everything at the moment that the businesses that go well during this period will be the ones that have a clearly defined 
purpose and mission that underpins what they do because that's what people will fight for and serve and push through for yeah i think that's such a good i think that's i think you put that really well and i think that that mike rich has just put a question around that andrew said feel free to elaborate slightly but mike rich has just said going the distance as andrew said internal resilience is great but we are um recruiters facing an uncertain external world currently what would the advice would you give recruiters in these weird times to prepare for the recovery so so is it very much then like really be clear and understand why you're doing what you're doing and and what you're in it for and and why you're serving the people you want to is that is that part of it then that's going to help people get through this and prepare for the the recovery yeah and i I think we're seeing that anyway people are serving their communities in a really positive way Mm. i i did a a live broadcast this morning when i had some time and the first thing i did was compliment the recruitment industry because i think we get a terrible rap and yet this week i've seen it's been amazing uh, the response um in terms of so many people doing stuff for free Heaps people working for free, yeah. offering career coaching for free, um, yeah, rep to rex free, all sorts. Honestly, it's hey? who'd, have, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? <laughs> I know, so, but I think you're right, though. I think that's great to see, yeah. So, I, I've been really impressed. I think there's, yes, to prepare for what's to come, we need the mission element, that's that's for sure, but we also need to be agile with our services, we've got to stay relevant. We need to be thinking mm. about you know things such as flexible resourcing models whereby we can deliver interims not on a day rate for six months but unbundle them by the hour and trade them into the marketplace we need to be looking at pulling teams in we need to be looking at helping identify the big pain points of where we're at and how us as an organization and our people can solve it all that stuff i think we need to be super agile but super agile in service of a mission and a purpose that's bigger Mm. than than an individual Mm. Ronda, anything to add to that? Because obviously I think you definitely, obviously from the adversity you went through, you definitely had to innovate um, and, and and yeah, be adapt, be agile. <clears throat> anything to add to that from your sort of experience on, on that point? I just think tying in um, what Andrew said about the company mission, the purpose, but also to the individual mission and purpose um, mm. and making sure those two things are aligned. So um, a huge amount of the work that I'll do will always sort of start with quite a lot of stuff around deep behavioral motivators and drivers to make sure that everybody's facing in, in the right direction. So, you know, if you've got an organization that's facing what we're facing, you know, yes, it's very tempting to sit behind closed doors and think about a strategy and, you know, have a creative conversation at a senior level but opening it out to the workforce and including and and uh, creating that environment of trust to find a creative approach to what people could be doing and giving everybody a voice. I think Mm. individually you've got that level of empowerment then when people um, feel that they are a part of something and that we are all in this together. Um, And it just, it, it does breed creativity. It creates a safe space for people to, you know, put an idea out there, do something different. Um, Mm. reach out to clients approach it in a different way i I love this bit around the transparency and the open communication as well rondo in terms of that trust building um i think um too often we're not candid enough with the people that are in the mission with us and i think people you know what they invent in their heads is a lot worse than the reality quite quite often um (laughs) and and if it's not then they need to know too and so i think uh, I've never ever met a recruitment consultant in my life who moaned that their director over communicated with them. Yeah, yeah, so true. <laughs> it's never happened, and I don't. Yeah. So I think I think yeah, that comms piece, that trust building piece, 
that all helps create psychological safety and Rhonda would be the expert on that but it, it creates it creates psychological safety doesn't it so yeah. that people can then continue to be resilient and push through mm. yeah yeah and then on on sorry go on, go on Ollie sorry I was, what I was going to say on on Mike's question about what to um what to do now basically in terms yeah. of recovery I, f I find it really interesting because um as a, as a recruiter now in, in terms of this week of speaking to candidates and clients you, you've kind of um this isn't a solution sorry I haven't got an answer but you've kind of made your bed at this point in terms of how you've treated your clients and candidates up until this point and yeah very and, true. and and you and you were like you were laying that bed for for a little while to come so in t like in terms of cold calling a new business now and and, and asking them for a hand like you're, <laughs> you're on the back foot and it's it's really the the recruiters now who have treated their clients and candidates properly up until this point um are going to be the ones that, that that get through this and yeah. i know that's i know that's not not a solution but is i just love that i love that and it's it's also not just the clients and candidates just to add to that it's the employees right yeah so, um i think as, as you're saying we, we all need to make sure we're on the right side of history on this thing um when the dust settles and the companies that stick by their employees who are only shedding people um because it's for survival but it's a last resort. But the companies that are finding ways to put their people first, serve their clients and their candidates, um, they're going to have a huge competitive advantage when this thing springs back. And, mm -hmm. and rightly so, because they're going about it the right way. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think what, what I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about Joanna's question when we we're talking about the sort of individual mission and purpose and these types of things. I think what I definitely had to learn the hard way and get better at early on in my recruitment career was definitely taking the emotion out of things um so, so i think it's just it ties in quite nice with the individual piece so joanna's question consultants build really strong long-term relationships with their candidates clients how would you train consultants to keep a certain level of emotional detachment to ensure that when they are let down it's not taken personally rather than professionally but I definitely had to learn that the hard way. Mm. But what what are the thoughts on that? And great question. I um I think it's a fantastic question. And what I would say is it's not, in my experience, not necessarily about emotional detachment, because you're right, these relationships become quite meaningful. It's about setting from the outset very clear boundaries and understanding what that relation looks like, uh, relationship looks like. And, you know, I had it the other day uh, with somebody that I'm talking to. Uh, we, we were talking about some commercials as two individuals, we get on brilliantly. And instead of saying, you know, uh, Rhonda and this person, like Rhonda and Hisham, it's like, well, actually, what's going on with, you know, Eben Abel and, you know, Hisham? I, actually, Hisham, what's your company called? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so it's, it's separating and creating those boundaries to be able to have these conversations here at this level and then having a commercial conversation where there's an impact and you can talk at an okay. organizational level. And, you know, I'm talking about doing that from when I was running my own business. So, you know, if you're working for somebody else, um, it's much easier to do that. Um, yeah. I no, think if you, if you detach yourself too much, are you going to be authentic, you know, mm. or is that going to be picked up on? Mm. I don't know what you guys think. Ollie, what do you think on that? How have you got better at sort of taking the emotion out of things and not taking things so personally. <laughs> sorry, maybe that's me. Yeah, sorry. Did you, hear what I, did you hear what I said? Sorry. It's all right. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I got the question. I didn't know you were asking. I'm yeah, no, sorry. Um, I, I actually, you know. 
um, I actually, no, no, it's fine. I actually think um, emotional attachment is probably almost a strength in a, in a recruiter um, being able to, I know I agree that too much of it can, can make you fall off a cliff when, when something happens, but um, I, I definitely, I definitely take somebody who's got a lot of emotional attachment in what they're doing over somebody who has no emotional attachment. Cause I think just, just generally the, the service you will offer will be better. So I agree. It may get to a point where you may have to step in, but um, talking from my experience, I'd, um, I'd say the, the more emotional attachment to what you're doing, the better. Mm, I like that. Mm. Okay. Um, really like James's question on, um, do you believe that people who have faced adversity or hardship prior to getting into recruitment are predisposed to being more resilient in the job? In the job, sorry. What, what do we think about that? It's funny. I think it certainly know... helps. Go on, Ollie, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think you all have preconceptions when you interview people, like this unconscious bias that you do. And um, I, I, I developed something that I'm not saying is right at all, but you, you kind of can't get away with it. But speaking to people who have had really bad jobs before, um, seeing them as somebody who may step into recruitment and, and see the, the best of it. And um, it's funny that like, you, you speak to some people who had jobs that they hated and they were working all God's hours and they were doing a really mundane job um, and then stepping into recruitment and looking at it and being like, what do you mean you have to be resilient to this job? It's, it's well easy. What are you on about? Um, so it's funny, really. I actually, I, actually, I actually do agree with it. I actually do agree with it to a certain degree that you can, um, having a job where it's had to show resilience prior to getting into recruitment can, can definitely help yeah okay I mean, i'd link it back to what um what was said about uh, personal experiences and adversity and hardship outside of the employment world um mm. you know hisham you know i talk about my experience with my mum yeah. my mum being ill um, and us getting told that she had a terminal illness and losing her very very quickly and when you go through this level of um, adversity it gives you perspective and perspective is a massive leveler because it enables yeah. you to take a step back and understand what's really really important and what isn't so you know if i have a if i have a really bad call if you know, I'm shut down if I don't get an outcome that I want to something. For me, it's never going to be as bad as some of the stuff I've had to deal with that is life changing. Yeah. So I, I do think it impacts. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, always good. Um, I've done a, quite a few podcasts recently. Um, sort of it's come up a few times on the um, business development front. Like if you do get rejected five times off the bounce, like remembering that no one's died and just put, put things in perspective yeah, it does help absolutely yeah it definitely does help um so look we've spoken a lot about um resilience i think the second part of this is that if, if we do sort of work that that resilience muscle that 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 gives us the best possible chance of going the distance in recruitment um and as we all know not a lot of people don't make it past the first 12 months um in recruitment um so i guess from from your own personal journeys and experiences and the people that you've met during your career, what are some of the sort of habits that you've seen most commonly in recruiters that have gone the distance? What, what comes up for you guys when I ask you that? <clears throat> Someone go first, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Um, 
I think um, I think a lot of what I'd say, the first thing that comes to my mind there without even thinking why is repetition. So, and I link it to resilience because things will happen in your day or your week of being recruited where you, you may have to be resilient that, that, come out of, that come out of nowhere. But I think a lot of things happen to a lot of people because they don't have that process. They don't have that, that repetition. They don't have mm-hmm. their plan laid out to be able to spot where things can can go wrong and they don't have their A's, their B's, their C's and their D's. And then all of a sudden they're they're jumping into they're jumping into the unknown. And then that's when they get hit with that with that kind of need for resilience. So for me it is that ability to repeat your processes, repeat mm. the good practice that you need to do. Um and then and then it's and then it's all about analyzing what you've done. So a lot of people something will go really wrong for them. Um and they won't and they'll they'll just take it on the chin they may be really really resilient and you won't know that that they're in a bad place but they won't look back as to why something went wrong they won't analyze it they won't look at what caused those setbacks and then it's it's not going to happen moving forward so yeah I'm i'm a big stickler for process repetition and i feel if you can install that kind of framework as a recruiter it helps it helps manage the unexpected Mm. interesting and anything else to add there on on the common things that habits and things that we see in people that go the distance have a have a long tenure in recruitment? Yeah, I don't believe there is any common habits other mm. than the, other than the topic that we're talking about. So, um, I think the process points a good one, but I never kind of liked process. The moment I thought I was in any kind of process, I jumped out as quick as possible, <laughs> and, uh, and I, my numbers were always all right. So. We, we did a study once, uh, a large recruiter, and what we we're trying to do was to unpick the magic formula. And this is why our world's so interesting, right? So <laughs> we, we picked out the top 10 billers out of 1,000 consultants, and we were going, right, we're going to look at this crew and work out what is the magic formula for recruitment success, right? Yeah. But all these people were between 600 and a million pounds a year billers. Uh, we had five women, five men, so clearly gender was uh, irrelevant. Um, we had four different uh, ethnic backgrounds, so um, that was irrelevant too. We had everything from, at one end, incredibly process-driven people when we did kind of the Thomas International stuff on them at the time, and at the other end, complete wide boy phone jockeys who were wheeling and dealing. Um, IQ was very variable. Um, even EQ was variable, actually, which was a surprise because you assume that high, high EQ, but actually not having EQ and not caring uh, – maybe helped manage that emotional side you were talking about the only one thing oh and the ages were 22 to 55 so there was there was no yeah, age really very it, it was mental yeah you couldn't have got a more mixed group of people if you tried either personality age background and, and we had everything from the sons of millionaires to people who grew up on a council state it, it was it was ridiculous and the only one thing was that they all scored above average on the grit test which is um yeah which is exactly this it's a it, it's wow, all okay. that's interesting so that was the only common denominator between in all those people the top yeah. 0.1 of one of the large recruiters in terms of the big billers that's really interesting okay thanks for sharing that. that great insight um great question just come through from ashley lawrence um i think really timely in the in the current um landscape so the question is um i think back to your point ollie on people have already made their bed and these types of things like so ashley's question is what advice would you give to recruiters to overcome current market conditions and what metrics can you 
use as a barometer of success or performance in obviously the current market conditions? I think that's a really interesting question. So I guess, Ollie, what are you what are you making sure that what are the sort of non-negotiables for you in the last couple of days that you're making sure that Obviously, Ashley's your boss as well, so hopefully you answer this correctly. I was going to say, yeah. He should, he, he should, he should be telling me the answer, right? Um, pass this one on, mate. Pass it on. Yeah, I was going to say shit. But, what, but yeah, so like what, yeah what, what are the non-negotiables for you on, uh, currently, right now? What are you making sure you do on a daily basis to make sure that yeah. you're doing the right activities? So... Um, I think I think we all think we're gonna. I think we all think we have the best quality service out there, right? We all we all want to be offering the best quality service. I think increasing that quality right now is is, is so so important and, and making it apparent. So, thinking outside the box in terms of the offering that you have for your clients, being agile in terms of in terms of offering them a strategy of 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 how you're going to approach the market differently without without kind of going into too much detail on it, doubling down on your client relationships now is, is the most important thing. Um, and you really will find the clients that do trust you right now um, and find those clients, double down on those clients and make sure that you, you really offer the quality service they want. And it's a two-way thing, right? A lot of it now is, is not us telling our clients and candidates what they need to be doing, but it's really yeah. standard, ever even more importantly now understanding what their needs are that you might presume their needs are they need a cheaper service or they need a temporary people or you might presume all of these things right just because of what you're hearing it might not necessarily be what they're after they, they may be after something completely different so really identifying the need of your clients in this current market conditions or whatever um and, and and real double double down on it a double so, down so, phrase i've learned that from your podcast you can say so, that all what, the time now. so what what's what so what so the last couple of days or week what's the typical day look like for you then um it's been getting every single client that we are engaged with on the phone and identifying what their needs are right now mm. um and what their landscape looks like in the next couple of weeks because they're not they're not going to give you the answer right now they might not have the answer right now but is identifying their pain points right now their needs what they need from us over the next couple of weeks um and once you know that right so once you've taken that kind of like audit of your client base um it's it's then the next steps are led by that but yeah that's um that's what it's been like this week and and it's really refreshing right because you're now speaking to clients and you should be doing this all the time but um, you're now speaking to clients and really just you only have one purpose on that call and is what what is you what do you need right now what do you need yeah. from me um, and it's quite refreshing actually um, yeah. and yeah. how's that how's that actually how's that being received then yeah yeah really well really well it's um it's funny because we, we you have some clients now that want more that want more contact from you because they're they're, they're self-isolating or they're social distancing. <laughs> okay. It's funny. I've got you got your clients emailing asking for a virtual coffee because they're because uh, mm. they're lonely. But yeah, it, it's been it's been received really well with with the clients that you already kind of had that relationship with. Um, in terms of the clients that maybe hadn't treated with the, with with the best quality service, going to them now and and um, and doing that is is a little bit trickier, but. Mm. So it's been very much focusing on having good quality conversations with with existing relationships. That that's yeah. what you've been focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then on the on the flip side of that, just just to include on the flip side of that, um, 
that there are going to be clients out there that aren't getting serviced efficiently or effectively by the, by their recruiters because I, I know agencies that have let 50% of their work staff go overnight. Like we are talking about yeah. not having the right values or morals or not being prepared. Um, so there's going to be clients out there that need a bit, a bit of loving, if that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, especially yeah. if they had the relationship with those people that have been let go as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Ronda, anything think, to add to that? What have you seen? Yeah, well, I'd be tempted to, um, you know, really strip it back and simplify it and, um, you know, not a metric as such, but I think the most important one, which definitely ties into what Oliver was saying, which is actually doing what you say you're going to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, we laugh, we joke, but all too often we will have those calls because people are giving us more time. It's it's getting on the phones, um, you know, the phone calls, are we just talking to people or are we getting outcomes for from them? Um, but if you are asked to do something, whether it's to follow up, whether it's to do something else, just doing what you say you're going to do goes a huge way in this job. Huge way. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, and then just on this point, I think this ties quite nicely with Campbell's um, question. Um, and I think a big part as to why I started this podcast Um talking about can we change the perception of the recruitment industry and I think back to your point Andrew on it's been great to see the amount of people that are paying it forward and being willing to help um Campbell's question is do you think that the resilience hard work and empathy required to be a recruiter at this current time what we're talking about now Ollie with you speaking to clients like listening to them listening to their needs and he said will this be recognized by both candidates and clients and in turn have hopefully have a positive impact on the long-term opinion of the recruitment industry Yes. <laughs> You'd like to think so. You'd like yeah, to think no. so. Oh, mate, and you're, you're going to like this. I, I think now is the time to be delivering as much content, as much marketing, building an audience, um, being seen to be proactive, sharing. Like yeah. I, uh, The key metrics for me, I loved uh, uh, what the guy said around, you know, it's a contact sport that we're in, right? But I would be Zoom calling uh, all morning, and then yep. content marketing and social selling all afternoon. I think um, as an industry, we have a chance right now, our audience is, you know, on their laptops at home. Yeah. And we have a chance right now to be Zooming them in the morning and then um, resetting how they view their in our industry and what we're doing in the afternoon via all the good stuff that's going on online. So I'm hoping the current cadence of uh, social media traffic that our industry is putting out is going to continue onwards for some time to come because it's it's a huge opportunity for the industry right now online yeah i do i do wonder how many um home office setups we're going to see in the next two three weeks i don't know if that's going to die down <laughs> how many been, how many sheds yeah how many sheds there's been a lot of them but no i think yeah i've had a lot of conversations over the last couple of days on Hisham. not sure how like should i be talking about this at this current time and all that and i think my sort of view on it has just been just like right now is definitely the right time to be front and center in your market, being someone that's giving yeah. value, being positive, sharing ideas, talking about the solutions that you're coming up with your clients, talk, sharing the challenges. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely worthwhile being front and center in your market right now. And I think there's, I've seen loads of cool stuff. Whoever's watching this, there's recruiters that are doing live webinars and giving free interview, uh, video interview advice or how to write your CV or there's loads of things you could be doing right now. I think I've seen quite a few videos on people doing, they're creating a virtual pub 
um and you can join the zoom call and like there's so many cool things that you could do right now which is going to be all about bringing people together um and i think yeah i'd love to see like this hard time now have an impact on the recruitment industry in, in a positive way um okay so um i'd love to hear from you guys on on this question what what's the sort of one piece of advice you've been given in the past from a manager or a colleague that you think has had the biggest impact on how you handle the tougher times in recruitment? Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> nice and simple. That that definitely helped. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Ollie? What, what's the what's the best advice that you've been given? Yeah, how my opening statement um, about the the net margin between hope and certainty was was something that, that's all I've always remembered. It was from a trainer that, um, from an external trainer that we had, a, a brilliant guy. And um, Come on, you got a name in, mate. That, you oh, you, you must... got some good kudos when you shared that, mate. Who, who is it? No, I will do. I didn't know if I was allowed, mate. I felt like it was a BBC boy. <laughs> uh, no, his name's, um, his, name's, his name's Jeremy Snell. I don't know if you, if you know him. Okay, um, I've seen the name, actually. He just, yeah, he's he's great. He's got a great social presence as well. So he's um you'd love him, Hisham. But okay. but no, he he was the one that um he was the one that said it to me, and and that's how I look. That's how I look at resilience now. I really analyze. I'm I'm really analytical with everything I do, and I really analyze. It. And if I felt like I was being hopeful in that situation, rather than I was being certain in that situation, whatever that situation may be, then then you, you kind of hold yourself accountable to it. Um, and then it helps you preempt preempt what's going to happen um so yeah that close that close that net margin between hope and certainty and uh, that's the best bit of advice i, I like that andrew best piece of advice yeah um my first ever manager in recruitment told me never to be vulnerable to one deal oh i was so i that was me at the beginning <laughs> yeah me too hanging all your hopes and oh, the, the the holidays on one thing landing <laughs> um you, you yeah. gotta you, you gotta yeah mm. never be ne- be relentless in ensuring that you're not just vulnerable to one deal making or break your quarter that's not the game and yeah, as, yeah. as you move up into exec search and stuff where the numbers uh get bigger it becomes even more important because mm. you can have a 40k swing on a deal um and uh, so, yeah, never be vulnerable. So always, uh, that means always have a backup candidate for a start. Yeah. And it means always have a number of things going on, which sounds obvious, but um, so many people kind of get a couple of people at final interview on something and then. Uh, yeah, they, done. They, 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 uh, yeah. And we've all done it. And, and you, kick, yeah, you, yeah. you kick back, but don't be vulnerable to a candidate. Don't be vulnerable to a deal and you'll be in good shape. Yeah, I like that. I think um, you really do, you know, uh, tongue in cheek saying about tomorrow's another day, but you do have to take a step back. That gives you perspective, whether it's mm. uh, another day or whether it is a lunchtime or whether it is, you know, a bit of terrible news, the candidate not getting it, whatever it is, you know, take that deep breath and and get some clarity around your thinking so that you can, as I, you know, my little theme and my strap, choose your response. Yeah. Mm. Love it. Yeah. That's, um, I was definitely victim of that last week, just really, really focusing on what I can't control. And you can really, you can really, I was just thinking about this event. Am I going to do it? I was on the phone to Ollie, you're coming over to the UK or not. You're going to be trapped in Dublin. I was just thinking about it all the time. As soon as I woke up, looking at the news, great way to start my day. Definitely not. And like, <laughs> you can just, but you can really quickly find yourself in that loop. Yeah. Um, 
And I've got a 16 year old daughter that's woken up to be told you're not doing your GCSEs. Yeah. Um, you think most kids would be absolutely delighted. She's crushed. You know, she's a grafter. She works really, really hard. And, you know, her immediate response is, oh, my God, this is terrible. What's going to happen? And, you know, even though she hates it, hates it when I'm coach mom, it's you know what? <laughs> we We don't know enough at the moment. You know, there is no point worrying about it, overthinking yeah. it because you're stealing time from yourself. Um, yeah, 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 and I think just really understanding that, yeah, it's it's yeah, choose your response, focus on what you can control. It just it just really helps in situations like this, like it really does. Um, Hisham, do you have a journal? Yeah, I have. So I've been a bit lazy with it over the last couple of months, to be honest. But I've, Same. Last... I've, I've dropped I've dropped off, but I'm going to pick it back up in the current environment. I think. And yeah, the... yeah. I don't, I, don't know why, I don't know why. That's I've a made... big group accountability there, Andrew. We're all be yeah, checking like that. that. Yeah. Okay, right, there you go. I've made my public pledge. But if I, <laughs> I, that that was some good advice. Someone gave me, although I don't know why I dropped it. Again, it's, Mate, it's I've, building I've, those habits. Yeah, since having my own business and stuff, I've one of my biggest challenges has been just fitting in all the typical Hisham stuff that makes you feel good about everything else. A lot of my eggs have gone into the business basket um, yeah. for me. Um, but yeah, no journaling. I'd say over the last two three years i've journaled and it's made a huge difference one of the great the great things that i used to do which i used to absolutely love is at the end of the year i just book a day in my diary where i'd read my whole journal for the year yeah um and it's just such a great exercise to do and it like you it's so easy to forget where you was at the beginning of the year let alone two months ago and how you were feeling and what you was talking about but yeah journaling for me just writing how you feel down just there's something really powerful in that I think um, if I can tie yeah. that back to resilience, because you've mm. just absolutely coined it. You going, you know, I said about the elastic band. Yeah? yeah. When you go back and you acknowledge how far you've come, so how yeah. far you've stretched the band, you know that going into the next year, like look at Brexit as an example, right? Yeah. Look at where we were at with that. We've got on, we've moved forward, we've got this. When yeah. we look back, we'll know that the next piece of uncertainty, the next challenge, we'll be able to overcome it because we've pushed our resilience yeah. a little bit further. It's just so easy to forget. It's yeah. so it's, I don't know why. It's just so easy to forget where you was and the things that you overcame <laughs> and the challenges. I don't know. It's, it's interesting that. Um, so yeah. really interesting question from um, Rob that's sitting at the top there. Um, again, a bit more in line with the um, current climate, but I think it's a great one. So Rob's question... Um, on the on, go, on the uh, going distance, going the distance point, how important is it that business owners, managers, team leads really continue to qualify their own staff and understand what is important to them and what distance means to them to help foster resilience? I think that's I think really interesting. Yeah. everything. If you oh, go back to what I said about the values of the individuals, the core drivers, if you don't know your team and if they really don't know you, right, you're not going to be on the same page. There is not going to be that transparency which will build trust, which will create yeah. trust and which will therefore build resilience. I think it's it's a basic fundamental thing that needs to happen. How often should people be doing that? Like how how often should people be checking in? with their guys and really trying to understand yeah what their long-term vision is why they're doing what they're doing 
I think if you're talking real core values, drivers and motivators, it's an exercise worth doing every six months. You know, if you're doing yeah. it properly, it's not a 10 minute conversation because we all know this things happen in life and we reprioritize. Nobody has the same values throughout their life. Yeah. We react, we respond, we adapt. Mm, okay. Um, I just want to say to everyone watching, definitely still got a couple of questions on the Q and a definitely encourage you. So we've got sort of 15, 30 minutes left. If you want to ask, uh, ask Ollie, Andrew, Rhonda, any question, then make sure you put it in there and, and we'll ask it. Um, something that I wanted to um, ask you, I think we've spoken a lot about the challenging times, overcoming the difficult times and these types of things. But I think what's really interesting is, um, and the question I'll ask you guys is, keeping yourself motivated when you actually hit your billings target, when you are at the, at, actually at the top of your game. I think that's a... I think that's also a real challenge for a lot of people. I've sat down with a lot of people on the podcast recently where they had that top biller badge and when they got it, they found it really difficult because all they were thinking about was maintaining that and thinking about dropping that. And if they didn't have the top biller badge, what were they? So the question I have for you guys is we're talking about the challenging and these types of things, but how how can people keep themselves motivated when after they've hit their target and after they've hit their billings target or wherever that target may be? Yeah, I think uh, the error is, and I've worked with a few top billers on this, I think the error is just comparing yourself internally. Mm. So, so I'd kind of I'd kind of go up to a half a million biller um, who, yeah, had maybe let their ego get carried away a little bit and had been showered in massive bonuses, gifts, and a trip to Miami every week, um, <laughs> and sit them down and ask how they were doing against uh, external top billers for a start. So other people in their industry that might be outperforming them, um, some of their peers who are the same age, who are in different industries, but outperforming them. I think it's, and I don't know whether this is healthy, Rhonda will have to tell me, but I think um, <laughs> what what always helped me was to have a nemesis. Okay. A, like a, a worthy adversary, right? So yeah. in, in, in Australia, I had one. He was awesome. He was so bloody good. And whenever I felt like I was dialing off, I was like, What's he up to? I bet he's on it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I'm not like a really healthy competition. It, it got a bit unhealthy when I started uh, scanning, <laughs> scanning pictures of scanning pictures of invoices that I was sending to his clients over to him and stuff. But oh, wow. ge- generally, it was healthy uh, despite my immaturity because <laughs> it, it was always that kind of nagging thing in the back of my head. You know, I come in one morning and I wasn't quite on it. It was like. I bet he's doing, I bet he's killing it. Yeah, isn't it, it. Yeah. Right, I need to go. So I think there's something about having, and if you look back in history at uh, top performers in any sport or in any kind of thing, there's always a worthy opponent and a, some kind of worthy adversary in there, hopefully in a, a, a healthy way. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. R- Rhonda, what, what do you think about that? Like how, how can people remain motivated when they feel like they've, yeah, they've hit their targets or got to sort of maybe at the peak? <laughs> I think what a lot of people aren't very good at is doing that inner um, analysis, that self-reflection, that understanding of what personal development looks like to them. Um, Mm. You can call it being the best version of yourself if you want to. Uh, You know, it sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, when we don't understand what our existing version is and then what the upgrade version looks like, yeah, 
We've got nothing to aspire to. So if you really want to tap into the, you know, I, I like to talk about brain chemistry and happy chemicals. And in this instance, we're talking about dopamine. We're talking about being able to motivate ourselves and anticipate what that next level looks like. Yeah. If you've got no idea, for example, what your career looks like after Top Villa, you know, if you don't um, have a focus on, well, actually, I don't just want to be Top Villa for 2019. I want to be Top Villa for 2020, 2021. Um, all know that, well, I've got to achieve this and I'm going to get this promotion. And that promotion is going to mean that, you know, oh, it's life changing. I'm going to get a bigger mortgage or we're going to be able to do this. You just you have no direction. So yeah. it's about really tapping into, you know, you don't necessarily need a, a coach to do that. You can do it you know, by yourself. There's some fantastic resources out there. But, you know, look at what your what your map looks like. Look yeah. at journaling last year where were you where are you this year where do you want to be the year after it doesn't have to be a really prescriptive five-year plan but if you can understand you know what that journey looks like it's much easier to then work yeah. towards achieving it yeah i think yeah. Uh, yeah knowing what the next part is yeah that's that's probably yeah. the key your, your, isn't your only real uh, competition is you yesterday yeah yeah that's, that's it. it yeah stop stalking these people andrew not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> um, great. Sl- slight, slight change, um, but <clears throat> I think definitely worth talking about. So um, Joshua King, I mean, yeah, th- this must be really difficult for, for people early on in their recruitment career in the, in the current landscape. But Josh's question, if you were three months into recruitment, as I am, what would be your approach knowing what you know now to this situation? Um, I mean, yeah, Josh, not not the best cars to be dealt. But no, I, I like, disagree. Yeah. I, <laughs> really, I disagree. fair enough. I disagree. Enough. Honestly, I think that, Josh, you don't realise it yet, but this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. I can't tell you the amount of people who joined recruitment in 2008, 2009, who have gone on to be successful business owners. And yeah. I think it's because if you're born into the fire, then... As, and you work, have to work at a certain pace, a certain creativity, a certain hustle to get by, then as the market starts to come up, you are going to fly, mate. So hang in there. You haven't been dealt a bad hand. I think you've been dealt potentially the best possible hand for your career. Yeah. I mean that. The adversity we're talking about, you can get yeah. through this, Josh. You're going to breeze it. Yeah. I really mean that. Yeah, 100%. But- I think he asked, um, he asked this question about what he could be doing, and I think yeah. there is that um, – whether it's this situation, which is difficult for all of us, there's some first time experiences for everybody, but I'm a firm believer of modeling excellence and looking at the people around you that are seeing success, are working with particular clients that have still got the lines of comms up, that still want to be billing and so on. You know, have conversations, um, be bold. Um, I've always said, you know, no question's a bad question. I think just be inquisitive and speak to the people that are around you that have been in, in the game a little bit longer and look at what they're doing and their responses right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Josh, you definitely be looking at the people around you and asking for advice and help and these stuff. But I, I love the, I love that you just disagreed with me there, Andrew. I think that's, I love that you just came back and I think that's, that's great. Um, Ollie, anything to add on that? What, what do you think? Like if you were really early on in your recruitment career, knowing what you know now in the sort of current landscape and market, what, what sort of things would you be thinking about or advice you'd be giving yourself? Yeah. Go, going back to, um, going, going back to what we are talking about, about the external environment as well. Someone gave me a really great analogy on that. And when we talk about being that top biller and like what's next, Andrew saying you're always looking internal is so true. And, and kudos to you 
Hisham, to be honest, because we now have the ability in, in many ways, including the podcast, to actually look externally as what's going on before. You had yeah. no idea. You had no information. So someone gave me that analogy about having a jar of fleas with a lid on and the fleas would jump and just hit the lid, obviously. If you take the lid off, the fleas would still only jump that high and only reach that high until you put another flea in that jumped a bit further. Yeah, and then all the fleas would see that going. Like, what's going on here? Like, I didn't know you could do that. Um, it, <laughs> I'm gonna. Ke- Kevin gave me that, and he he asked a question earlier, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give him that one. But but the, <laughs> I, I, just, I wanted to I wanted to give that analogy out because we were talking about it. But in terms of um, is it Josh? Sorry, I forgot his name. In terms, yeah, of, so I've I've marked it as answered. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. In terms yeah, of what we're doing now, I genuinely think it's a time. Uh, and again, he probably doesn't know this yet, so he has to be around the right people, but it's a real time where the opportunity to be different and the opportunity to to raise the bar to a level that is that is other people aren't doing in the industry this is the time to do it um you can get you can so easily we've all done it get caught up in the noise and the business of the industry and you see so much going on you see all these successful people and you feel like it's all about being fast paced all the time and I think now is potentially a time where you can really um, differentiate your your offering in terms of the quality of what you're doing and raise the bar if that's that's through social selling if that's through day-to-day phone-based stuff whatever it is I think it is a time now where you can we potentially are going to trim the fat a little bit, but but as an individual, you can really raise the bar in, in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And just to finalise that point then, because I think this is a great um, question, Claire just said, so what, what help do you think is good for people to ask for right now in the current climate? I think that's a good question. Like, What should people be asking for uh, help for? I'm going to say mindset, not just because yeah. that's what I do, but I think mindset... <laughs> It, you know, we don't typically offer that across the industry. Yeah? yeah. If we get people's heads in the right places, then the way in which we respond to it definitely changes. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that that's the thing. As you said, historically, that hasn't always been in the conversation. So, like, how do you even approach asking for help on that? Like, I guess, do, do you know what I mean? Do you know, I, did, did, is the question gone? Did you move it? Um, yeah. I think, I think there's still, despite... Yeah, the, the industry, we still struggle, but we're far more open about it. I think that there are people that are going to be surrounding um, us as individuals that do respond in the right way, that can give you advice that, you know, I think there's a really big difference between like positive chirpy thinking and what I would call doing like sticking a plaster over it. Oh, it's going to be fine. Oh, it's going to be yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, I think it's that real conversation, real honesty. Um, and and really not being afraid to have that level of conversation with somebody, you know. I think that is it. Is it that obvious to say that transparency, communication? I think that's at the minimum what we mm. can be given teams at the moment. Mm. So I guess with that, a good question from James just on this point is like, how important is downtime and switching off when it comes to going the distance in recruitment? Do you think again, maybe it's something that has become more in the sort of conversation over the last couple of years, well-being and a lot of businesses that I've been working with speaking to now have personal development budgets to have well-being plans and all these types of things. But so what, what can recruitment employees do to ensure their people maintain a balance? I think that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, think we've, um, sorry, on, I, I think, I think we've done well to get to uh, ten past seven and not talk about this, to be honest, because it's probably um, it's probably quite an important part, isn't it, in terms of like 
extracurricular in terms of work-life mm. balance in terms of mental health physical health it's actually it probably is has a real strong correlation to resilience in recruitment now um the one thing um the one thing recently for me in terms of extracurricular things outside of work that have really helped it is actually an education thing i think we can get so we're in recruitment we're in such our own little bubble um, we speak to recruiters all the time. It's all, all you go home, you talk about recruitment. It's all you ever talk about. It's such a bubble. Um, I think external education has been a real, a real, real good thing for me in terms of books, podcasts, whatever that may be. I, yeah. I, I, it's only new for me. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, last year I had a, a new year's resolution to read one book every month. And I read one book all year. <laughs> so I was, I was 11 <laughs> behind. But I'm getting, I'm getting better at it. But this year I've had a big thing about it in terms of, being able to turn recruitment off yeah. and do and do something. How, how do you think that's helped you? It, it gave me so many more ideas. It gave me so many more ideas because so many things in 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 the big wild world that's so relevant to recruitment that you never even think of until mm. you go and find it. Do you know what I mean? You, you're kind of always talking about like um, getting a candidate to interview. You're always talking about closing a deal. It's all really specific to recruitment sometimes. Mm. And there's so many things you could learn in terms of like personality traits or, or or sales skills or just fictional stuff, whatever it may be, that actually you then relate to your day job as a recruiter and you kind of implement it in management or in actual recruitment. I, I've, I found it so fascinating. And uh, like I said, I, I need to do more exercise. I mean, we all need to do more exercise. I think that'll help. But in terms of education, I, I put yeah. that as like an extracurricular activity that's really helped. Um, it's really helped my day job if that makes sense do, do you think that's helped do you think that's helped you sort of like continue with your recruitment career because obviously you've been in the industry for quite quite a while now do you think that's had an impact on you sort of um going the distance yeah definitely it's definitely reframed my like mindset of of like the recruitment career if that makes sense like giving me I know, giving me vision of like different paths it could take, um, just by looking outside and looking inward. So yeah, absolutely. I think it. I think it's good to to get out of this bubble a little bit um, mm. and and look and look inwards, definitely. Okay, and then um, uh, Andrew, what what are you like? What do you think employers can do to ensure they're sort of trying to influence or impact the the work life balance that a lot of people need and want today? Anything that you're seeing or have heard uh, of the conversation you've had? Yeah, I, I think where we're moving to is uh, more tailored employment experiences. Mm. So I don't work-life balance is what well, we kind of talk about work-life integration okay. um, because I think it means different things for different people. Yeah. And I think what we're going to get is rather than just exchanging our time for money, and it will be interesting to see how this goes with the current climate as well. Um, I think what we're getting is um, someone agreeing to deliver an outcome and some value, but then they're being then being able to tailor to an extent with some freedom within a framework how they go around mm. doing that, accessing all the resources that the company provides. So I, I think it's going to be a more tailored. I think it's I think where people go wrong on work life balance is they go well uh, they blanket it for everybody. Where it's yeah, totally, it's totally different. Like work life balance to me is totally different than work life balance. Yeah, so wife, true to my wife. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we have different preferences and ways of working, and we peak at different times during the day, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I think I think it needs to be tailored. Yeah, I think, that, and then again, that ties into over communicating to 
the people in your business and these types of things and that can be part of it can't it um so just on your point um ollie i'd be interested actually um claire just said like so what what podcasts have obviously besides the recruitment roller coaster what 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 podcasts have you really enjoyed what podcasts are always in your podcast library that you've always always want to listen to and have had a quite good impact yeah there's a there's a really good i i follow a guy called jordan jordan peterson who's like a professor yeah, yeah. at university and that's the one that i i bought his book um it's quite hard to read that one yeah 12 way no the second one rules of life 12 rules of life yeah i read i really liked it but i was just so bad at reading and yeah, then i was like right can i listen to read yeah and i was like can i listen to him and then i've started listening to like older podcasts of him of his and it's been it's just so left field from recruitment but it's so engaging and it's so like um almost inspirational like we talk about we talk about what we're looking for externally and sometimes you are just looking for a bit of inspiration aren't you, you are looking for someone to look up to and a, a goal to reach and uh yeah i found that with with his with his stuff um there, there were some things that were more closely aligned to recruitment. Like there's a marketing podcast I listened to. I can't remember the name. I feel really bad because I should be plugging it. Um, <laughs> there's a, and there's a, there was a, there's actually a HR podcast that's really interesting to like understand um, what people within the world of HR are talking about and trying to get into the uh, get into their frame of mind. So there's a few things, yeah. Um, absolutely, things that have nothing to do with recruitment. Yeah, cricket tail enders of the world podcast is probably what I listen to the most. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't think many. I don't think many people on here want to listen to it. But but yeah, even if it's even if it's not pure educational, sometimes a bit of fiction, a bit of uh, a, a bit of um, non-professional is it helps me a lot as well. Just to just to turn off. Andrew, what what's what's always in your podcast library? Yeah, so uh, Humans Two Point is awesome. What's that? Uh, What's that called? Humans two point. Humans two point nine. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, that. they have some. Yeah, that's like a personal development one. I like. Uh, I like impact theory in that. Yeah, impact. Tom Tom Bay is good. Tom Bay. Yeah, I like. I like him in that genre. Obviously, some of the Joe Rogan stuff is good, albeit it's bloody long. So yeah, very long. <laughs> um, but, but he has. <laughs> he, he he has. Uh, I, I think he has some some really really interesting people in there as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So look, as we sort of come to um, the end of this, I guess what what would be your sort of um, sort of what what just to leave people with things to go away with, or like what would be your sort of parting messages to sort of where we are today with with what's going on? Like what 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 should people? I don't know. What would your message be to people today that no doubt are going to need resilience, are going to have to push on um, if they're serious about going the distance in the current climate? What what's your sort of parting message for, for the people that um, have very kindly given us their time? Mine would simply be, um, it, it, it's very, very tempting right now to second guess all of the things that are happening. Um, you know, there's rumours, there's scaremongering, um, there's a huge amount of fear that's just everywhere. Um, you know, God, the, the school chats the whatsapp groups it's just frightening and yeah. you know if we allow ourselves to sort of be affected by this if we jump on that in terms of our thought process it's just not going to take us in a good space so mine would simply be you know really think about um what you know to be fact um what you can control 
um, and then choose your response. You know, it's dead time at the moment. You can plan to a certain degree. I think having the plan definitely helps with the resilience piece. But very, very simply, it's just don't be impacted and affected by the rumours that you hear. Um, yeah. You know, sanity check it a little bit. Mm. It's definitely hard to do that yeah. sometimes. Andrew, what, yeah. what what are you thinking about? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about people need to avoid a scarcity short-term mindset, mm. um, which is fear-driven, building on what Rhonda was uh, eloquently talking about there. But I think we need to avoid scarcity-based mindsets in the same way that businesses need to make sure that, you know, history will judge them well. Individuals need to as well. And I think you need to conduct yourself in a way that, um, you're happy with. I think you need to be super proactive, focus on the controllables, um, and just try and fight against the short-term thinking. I'm, I'm a big believer in reciprocity, and I think the more you can serve people in this time of need um, and pay into the ecosystem, the better off you'll be. And yeah. I think it's a unique opportunity to to reframe the industry and build relationships that will serve you for the next decade if you get it right. So. Um, look to pay in rather than extract. Um, and the other thing, the other bit of advice I would give um, recruitment consultants internally is um, to have empathy for their leaders. Um, yeah, it's so easy to criticise um, until you've sat, and it. it's a little bit like parenting. Like we all we all. <laughs> We, we all moan about our mum and dad and then we turn into them once we have kids, right, Rod? Like, <laughs> that's and, and leadership. story. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's tragic. It's tragic. But, but leadership's <laughs> like that. So, like, my, my big uh, thing would say would be to say, back your boss. I can promise you they've got a lot on their shoulders. Um, yeah, and, I love that. Um, go and ask them how you can help. Yeah, I think that's, but, I, I think that's great. Do that. Yeah. Love that. Ollie? Oli, what what would be your sort of parting thoughts, words? The um the both both Rhonda and Andrew there talked about the controllables. And I think the the blurred lines between the controlled and the, the controllables and the uncontrollables is now are more defined. So so it gives you the chance to really understand what you can control and it gives you the chance to really focus on it <clears throat> before. Ollie, the, inter- um, the internet was a bit slow then, mate. Unfortunately. I'm not saying before. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Well, I love it. The closing speed. Now I think the closing speed. <laughs> the internet slows right down. Sorry, Ollie. Where, I think, I think you're where, where, where did you get? Where did you get to? Start again, mate. You need to start it, up from the top. It was amazing, mate. Yeah. Nailed it. It was brilliant. <laughs> Shall I go? Shall I go? No, no. You, you need to start that from the top, mate. That was, that was um, very good. I was just saying the the definition and the blurred lines between what you can control and what you can't control now is is probably more defined than ever, which means on the positive side that you know what you can control now and and, and really gives you the focus on being able to control it. Um, that's my one my one thought. My other thought is resilience oh, no. in general oh, is always been has always been a team game. No, no, sorry. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to butt in then. It just lagged a little bit. I'll, t- I'll tell you, you an, amaz- an amazing book for what Ollie's talk- talking about is Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. It is yeah. unbelievable about yeah, resilience and control, control. Yeah, Unbelievable. 
Great book. Highly um, recommended right now. Well, um, look, well, that was the the first live podcast yeah, I webinar. I don't know how far I got then. Ollie, Ollie, you gave it a good old go, mate. <laughs> no, we got it. Thank you. <laughs> but um, look, honestly, I tried, thank you man. so much. I'll write a chat. So <laughs> <Sorry. God. laughs> oh, Leave um, it, lads. Leave it. <laughs> um, yeah, Ollie, someone just said they look like it looks like you've been to uh, that virtual pub in some of those scenes there when it was just, yeah, the internet wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> But look, I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Ollie, Rhonda, Andrew. I thought you were great. Uh, some great answers. Thank you, everyone. That that's obviously you've given our your time this evening. Um, really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. Um, Hannah just put a quick message on plan on doing any more webinars. Definitely plan on doing um, more webinars. Um, and if you have enjoyed it, <clears throat> please do let me know. Feedback's really welcome. Um, feel free to to share all over the socials, let everyone know that you tuned into the, the podcast webinar and help it get in front of more people. But um, look, thank you everyone. And thank you to the panelists. Cheers guys. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks Hisham.